morning we'll be in the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter number 1. These are verses that I have preached on before. Won't be the same message. Revelation chapter number 1. We're going to read two verses. Verses 17 and 18. Revelation chapter number 1. Verses 17 and 18. These, of course, are the words of the Apostle John who wrote the book of Revelation. And John says and writes in verse 17, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Verse 18 will form the basis for our text this morning. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. The title of the message this morning is, He That Liveth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time to be in your house today. Lord, we rejoice in the opportunity to worship you on this resurrection morning. And Lord, we thank you so much for the uh, not only the account of the Lord's resurrection in Scripture, but the fact and the reality that Jesus Christ is risen. We thank you for the work of Christ and his redemption on the cross in literally pouring out his lifeblood to serve as payment for our sins. And Lord, we know that Jesus was physically placed in a tomb and after three days and three nights he physically rose bodily again. Lord, we thank you for the word that tells us here by Jesus' own words that he is alive And he lives forevermore. Lord, help us today to bring honor, glory, and praise to you. Lord, help us in our battle against the enemy that would want our thoughts to go to different areas of our lives. Help us to focus today on you and on a risen and resurrected Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. He that liveth. Today is the day set aside to recognize the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, many, in fact, I don't think it would be wrong to say most uh, uh, of folks today wrongly focus on what this day is about. They focus on Easter bunnies and baskets. And that is not to be the focus today. As believers, our focus should be on the miraculous event of the resurrection. Now, our text verse in, in verse number 18, and we read 17 as well, these verses are in the midst of John's recounting of his seeing Jesus. The Apostle John, you recall, I trust, was exiled to Patmos uh, for his testimony, because of his testimony, and because of his stand for and on the Word of God. John writes that he's in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And he heard a voice as of a trumpet speaking to him. John turned and when he turned around he saw the glorified Christ. In verses 14 through 16, you can read this on your own, John provides an awe-inspiring description of Jesus. Then in verse 17, because John, when he had seen the glorified Christ, fell down on his face through fear, the Lord speaks to him in verse 17, words of comfort. 
And John records these comforting words. And in Jesus' message to John, Jesus reveals his identity. He reveals who he is. I am he that liveth. Jesus Christ is no longer dead. He is no longer on a crucifix. Yes, he died. He was murdered. We talked about that at length last year in a series on the murder of Jesus. But Jesus Christ is risen and he lives today. Jesus says, I am he that liveth. Jesus assures John that he's not dead. That he's alive. That he's alive forevermore. He that liveth. Verse 18, and we're not going to take all of that verse as our text, but in verse number 18, we're going to focus on the first portion of that. These, will, for, these words will form the basis for our text today. In verse 18, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. These words in verse 18 reveal three characteristics of he that liveth. They reveal, first of all, his present state. The second characteristic, his past prevailing state. And then the third characteristic, his permanent state. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Notice these three characteristics of he that liveth. They're outlined for us by the Holy Spirit. In verse number 18, notice the first characteristic, his present state. Jesus said to John, I am he that liveth. This is his present state. This is as he was when he spoke to John. It is as he is now. Now, in considering this characteristic, his present state. Notice in the phrase, in the words that Jesus speaks, I am he that liveth. Notice in this, first of all, there is Jesus' personification of the Almighty. His personification of the Almighty. Notice the first two words in verse 18. I am. I am. I am he that liveth. Jesus tells John, I am. Now I realize that perhaps we may, may draw the conclusion that the word am was added by the King James Version translators, the authorized version translators, but I want you to note that Jesus repeats this later in verse number 18 where he says, uh, I am alive forevermore. I believe what Jesus is doing here, and I believe that it would be right for us to focus on this. Jesus is, and I can't help but us thinking of the importance of the phrase, I am. Here we see Jesus' personification of the Almighty. What are we referring to when we talk about the phrase, I am? Well, it's really a name. And it goes all the way back to Moses' encounter with the Almighty back in the backside of the desert when God was calling him to go out and speak to Pharaoh and lead God's people Israel out of bondage in Egypt. 
In Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 14, after Moses has said to, uh, to, to the Father, to God Almighty, who do I say sent me? And in Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 4, 14 rather, Exodus 3 verse 14, the Bible reads, And God said unto Moses, in all, and this is in all caps in your Bibles, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, and again in all caps, I am hath sent me unto you. Now, the name I am that God is telling Moses to, to express to the Israelites who sent him, this name expresses the absolute, unchanging, eternal being of God. It is He who continues to exist without respect of time. Is this not what Jesus is saying to John? I was dead, but I'm alive, and I'm alive forevermore. This is the personification of the Almighty. Brother John Gill wrote about the phrase or the, the name I am. Gill said that this signifies the real being of God, His self-existence, and that He is the being of beings, as also it denotes His eternity and immutability and His constancy and faithfulness in fulfilling His promises. Does that not describe Jesus Christ? That's Jesus pre-incarnate before the world began that's Jesus here on this earth and that is Jesus he that liveth Jesus personifies all that the almighty God is Jesus is alive he is not dead Jesus himself as he spoke to unbelieving Jews told them that he was and is the I am. In John chapter 8 and verse number 58, Jesus addresses these Jews, and the Bible reads, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. This speaks of the eternity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fact that though he for a season took upon himself a, the form of a human body, and yes, that body was murdered. That body died. He rose again. He is He that liveth. So we see this first characteristic of He that liveth, His present state. We see it in His personification of the Almighty, I Am. But then notice that Jesus goes on and He says that He is presently alive. He says, I am, in verse 18, He that liveth. Jesus is confirming to John that Jesus is presently alive. I am He that liveth. Phillips Brooks wrote many years ago, commenting on this verse, these words. See what Christ says of Himself then first. I am He that liveth. The word liveth is a word of continuous perpetual life. It describes the external existence which has no beginning and no end, which considered in its purity and perfectness has no present and no past, 
but one eternal and unbroken present, one eternal now. This is Jesus. This describes Jesus. Jesus says to John, I am he that liveth. He is presently alive. He was presently alive then. He is presently alive now. Jesus Christ is spoken of as having risen from the dead. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 20, and you know all the wonderful passages there and verses that talk about the importance of the resurrection. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 20, the Bible reads, But now, now is Christ risen from the dead. If He is now risen from the dead, then that means that He is presently alive. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. He is the most important one that had risen from the dead. There are others that had been resurrected by the power of Jesus, but Jesus was the first fruits. He was the important person who had been risen from the dead. He is presently alive. He is He that liveth. Notice His present state in that He is presently alive. Paul further expounded on this truth and reality as he wrote to the church at Rome. And listen to these verses. In fact, let's turn over to Romans chapter number 6. Romans chapter number 6, verses 8 through 10. Romans chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. And I'm throwing my notes around. Romans 6, verses 8 through 10. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over Him. In other words, death cannot conquer Him. Death cannot rule over Him. Death cannot reign, R-E-I-G-N. Death cannot reign over him. Notice verse 10. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. And notice Paul is indicating that Christ, at the time of Paul's writing, was presently alive. He liveth. Jesus Christ is alive. He is not dead. He is not the figment of some person's imagination. He lives today. We see the first characteristic of he that liveth. His present state. I am he that liveth. Notice the second characteristic of he that liveth. We see it uh, further expounded in verse number 18 as we read these words. And was dead. Christ is presently alive. But notice his past prevailing state. His past prevailing state. And was dead. Now, this is not to say that Jesus is not currently prevailing. But I do want to make the point that he in the past prevailed and he will continue to prevail and he will yet prevail in the future. But The point that we're making now is that he previously in the past prevailed. His past prevailing state. He says, after he tells John about his present state, I am he that liveth. 
he says, and was dead. Why is it important for Jesus to tell John that he was dead? Well, I believe that what Jesus is doing here, and there's always an intent and a purpose to what he's doing, I believe that he's pointing to the fact, first of all, that he was delivered up to be put to death. Christ came to this earth, and beloved, the whole of the scripture ties together, and you'll see how this works in with what we talk about this afternoon in our study of getting to know the Spirit. We're talking about the, uh, the, the grafting back in and the restoration of the nation of Israel and how the Spirit will be operative in that. And we find that, that in that, uh, the Lord had a purpose in Jesus Christ coming the first time. And it wasn't to set up a physical, earthly reign as a king. He came to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Is that not what the scripture tells us? He didn't come to rule as a king the first time. And so, it is true that Jesus' body physically died. But it was for that purpose that he came the first time. Now turn with me in your Bibles over to the book of Acts. We were just in the book of Romans. Now turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2. And we're going to read verses 22 through 24. This is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. Notice Acts chapter 2 verses 22 through 24. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know. Now watch verse 23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. What is, what is Peter preaching? That Jesus Christ was delivered up to be murdered. He was, he was at one point dead physically. But then notice the continuation of the thought in verse 24. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Jesus Christ was dead, but no longer. The Bible tells us that he was delivered up to be put to death, and yet death could not hold him. He was crucified and slain as Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. But he was raised up by the power of God, and death cannot contain him. He is alive. So notice his past prevailing state. He was dead. He was delivered up to be put to death. But Jesus, I believe, is also letting John know, in his words to John, that it is Jesus, He, who destroyed the power of death. He says, I am He that liveth and was dead. Well, what do you conclude from that? That He has power over death. Jesus could, be not, could not be held in the grave. He was triumphant over death and the grave. You know, Paul wrote to Timothy. And in writing to Timothy, Paul talked about the purpose of God in salvation. And in the purpose of God in salvation, Paul continues that thought as he writes to Timothy. And he wrote this 
in 2 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 10. In 2 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 10, uh, Paul writes, But is now made manifest, that is the purpose of God in salvation, is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. Now watch this phrase. Who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now the words there, who hath abolished, it's one Greek word. And it literally means to deliver, to destroy, to do away, to make of none effect. And by, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ destroyed the power of death. He has delivered not only Himself, but all of those that trust in Him from death. Now the word, the Greek word that is rendered, who hath abolished in our English Bibles in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 10, it is also used in Hebrews chapter number 2, verse number 14. And so we notice and we're talking about the fact that this second characteristic shows that Jesus, or He that liveth, this characteristic is that He has a past prevailing state. He was dead. Now watch how Hebrews chapter number 2, verses 14 and 15 tie in with the thought that he destroyed, Jesus destroyed the power of death. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Verse 15 and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus Christ literally through death, and why was it through death? Because the grave could not contain him. The grave could not hold him. Yes, he died, and the devil thought that he had a great victory. But as was prophesied back in the garden in Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 15, how that the serpent would bruise the heel of Christ, the heel of the seed of the woman. But the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. How do you kill a snake? You don't, you don't try to kill a snake by hacking off its tail. You kill a snake by going for the head. And Jesus Christ destroyed the devil, he that had power over death, and in that he himself destroyed the power of death the grave could not hold him. He says, I am he that liveth and was dead. This is Jesus' past prevailing state. So we've looked at two characteristics of he that liveth. His present state, I am he that liveth. His past prevailing state, and was dead. But now we want to conclude the message by looking at the third characteristic, and that is his permanent state. That is his permanent state. Notice back in our text verse of Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 18, the Bible reads, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. This indicates his permanent state. Notice Jesus is placing emphasis on 
on his permanent state. Because he says to John, Behold. Behold. What does it mean when, when somebody in Scripture, and particularly the Lord, says, Behold. He's saying, What I'm about to say to you is very important. You need to grasp this. Behold. I am alive, but I am alive forevermore. This is the permanency of the Lord's life. He is presently alive. He's no longer dead. And He will be alive forevermore. Now, what is, what is Jesus doing in these words to John? Because again, there's a purpose in everything that Jesus says. Well, I believe that what He's doing is He's giving assurance as to His identity. He's giving assurance as to, identity, to His identity. Now, John was present at the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, was he not? He was present, John was present, when the risen Christ appeared to the eleven, was he not? In fact, the mission of the New Testament church was given by the Lord Jesus Christ after he had risen from the dead. And as he appeared to the church, you know the words well, and, and all of the Gospels in some form or fashion record the mission of the church, right? Uh, the, we call it the Great Commission. But in Matthew, the Lord spoke these words in Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 20. He says, after you've preached the gospel and the Lord has saved them and you baptized them, in verse number 20 he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, Jesus at this point had already been crucified. His body was laid in a tomb for three days and three nights. And by the way, I can't preach on the resurrection in this time of the year without pointing out again that Friday to, 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 to Saturday evening, Sunday morning is not three days. Okay, I, Again, I'm not. I, it amazes me how smart people place the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ on Friday and He rose. A, you know, that's not three days. The crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ took place Wednesday evening. That gives you the three days and three nights. Okay, And so, so the Lord, after He had suffered and had risen again, He says to His disciples and to His church, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. That meant that Jesus, as He was speaking to them at that time, was alive. And He says, you know what? I will continue to be alive. And now he's appearing to John and he's saying to John what? I'm still alive. We see the permanent state of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus assures John and by extension us of his identity. Do you ever get discouraged in life? That's a loaded question, isn't it? Because if you say no, then, then you're lying or you're in denial. Okay, We all get discouraged. And there are times when the enemy attacks us. And we just we wonder if the Lord is really here with us. He's alive forevermore. He doesn't leave or forsake his own people. He is indicating to John his identity. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. As he was with them after he had risen from the dead on this earth, even though he had ascended to the Father. He still is alive and He's alive forevermore. Paul gave insight 
into the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he gave insight into the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ, he associated Jesus' identity with the resurrection. He wrote to the church at Rome, and we've already read some verses that he wrote to the church at Rome. But now I want you to consider Romans chapter 1 and uh, verse number 4. In fact, let's just turn over back again to the book of Romans. And let's look at Romans chapter number 1. And uh, just really one verse that I want to read. But uh, I hope that we can gain context by just looking at verse number 3. In Romans chapter 1, notice that Paul is clearly talking about the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And then notice verse number 4. Of this same Jesus Christ, Paul writes in verse number 4, "...and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead." This is the identification of Jesus Christ. He is declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. If Christ be not risen, then we are yet in our sins and of all men most miserable. And yet the Apostle Paul writes that Jesus, who is the Son of God, really did rise from the dead. He's assuring us, as Jesus did in in Revelation chapter number 1, of His identity. Spurgeon wrote this. Spurgeon wrote in, uh, in reference to the identity of Jesus Christ being the Son of God and the relationship with His resurrection. Spurgeon wrote this, The divinity of Christ finds its surest proof in His resurrection, since He was declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. It would not be unreasonable to doubt His deity if He had not risen. And it's true, isn't it? I mean, what would you think of a Bible that talks about all the prophecies of a living Christ and a reigning Messiah, and yet He did not rise from the dead? That's why so many people try to cast doubts upon the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember one time when I was still in the Air Force and stationed over in Ohio, and uh, I had to go up to that state up north uh, to... TDY to do some training with one of the supervisors up there uh, in the recruiting squadron in, in that state up north and I had to go to Lansing, Michigan and it was uh, on a Sunday evening after church there in Dayton in fact that Brother Harding was preaching there that day so we got out of church uh, I got on the road driving up to, I had to be there that following morning so I get on the road to drive up there it's about a, I don't know about a four hour four and a half hour drive and as I'm driving through the night up there uh, in, in that state, I'm trying to find something on the radio, and I find a religious, what I thought was a religious station. And, and for about 30 minutes, I listened to this guy trying to disprove the resurrection of Christ. And finally, I, I thought, well, I initially thought, well, that's par for the course in the state up north, okay? Uh, I jest. Uh, but, uh, you know, at, I'm like, you know what? This is idiotic. I don't need to listen to this guy anymore. He's making no sense whatsoever. He's fighting so hard to disprove the resurrection. I'm here to tell you. Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. He rose from the dead. It is proof that he is the Son of God. So we see Jesus' assurance to John as to his identity when we think about this third characteristic, his permanent state. And then we close with this thought. 
Secondly, in thinking about his permanent state, we see the advantages, the advantages for the believer. The advantages of the fact that Jesus is alive forevermore. Of course, there are many advantages, but briefly I want to mention two this morning. First of all, this advantage, because Jesus is alive forevermore, He intercedes for us who are here on earth. Jesus intercedes for us. In fact, He intercedes for us because He is alive and able to intercede. He is able to be our advocate and plead our case before the Father. His blood still intercedes. His blood still pays for our sins. It, he did not have to be offered oftentimes. He was offered only once. But that blood is forever good to pay for our sins. The atonement has been made. It, Paul again, and I've referenced Romans a number of times. So I want to go back and I just want to read this verse to you in Romans chapter number 5, verse number 10 to kind of set the stage talking about the fact that Jesus intercedes for those that are here left on earth. This is an advantage for the believer. And he does so because he's alive. And we have insight into this in Romans chapter 5, verse number 10. In Romans 5, verse 10, the Bible says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Now, what do those words mean, saved by His life? I believe it has to do with the fact that He intercedes for us on our behalf because He is alive. If He were not alive, He would not be able to do that. But He represents us at the bar of justice before the Holy Heavenly Father. And of course, we can't mention this thought without referencing Paul's words to the Hebrew believers. In Hebrews chapter 7 and verse number 25, Paul wrote there, and you know this verse well, Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he what? Ever liveth to make intercession for them. He's alive forevermore. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. Aren't you glad this morning, believer? That regardless of what happens here on this earth and in this life, Jesus is alive right now interceding on your behalf. He can only intercede on your behalf because He is alive. I am He that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. The advantages of the permanent state of He that liveth, Jesus Christ. Intercession for those who remain here on earth. And then secondly, our inheritance in heaven. Our inheritance in heaven. Here I want you to turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. And then we'll close with these verses in 1 Peter. Now you'll note this morning that we've referenced John's writings. We've referenced Paul's writings. We now reference Peter's writings. 1 Peter chapter number 1 verses 3 through 5. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 5. We're talking about the advantages for the believer in that Jesus Christ is alive forevermore. Not only does He intercede for us, but there's an inheritance that we have as a result. Notice 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5. through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, which according to His abundant mercy 
hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, what? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, Jesus is permanently alive. He has been resurrected from the dead. And that is the basis of our hope. What is it that we look forward to? Look at verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wow, what an inheritance. Heavenly reservations. About a month ago, Darlene and I, as you know, we went down to uh, Tennessee to, to get away for the weekend. We're checking into the Gaylord Opryland uh, Friday Friday evening, and the guy's checking us in, and he's like, man, uh, would you like to do this upgrade? Uh, we got this upgrade for you, and you can get this kind of room and look out over here, and you know, I said, well, dear, whatever you want to do, and we thought about it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So we did it, and it was worth it. I'm going to tell you it was worth it. But you know what? We don't have to pay for an upgrade in heaven. There, there's, there's no upgrade. Listen, your, your room, the mansion, Jesus said in John 14, if I go away, I'll come again. I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. We're not going to get there and say, well, can I get an upgrade? We've already been upgraded. Jesus Christ was dead and he rose from the dead and he is alive forevermore and because of that because he lives we look forward to that inheritance that is reserved for us man that's an advantage for the saint of God look I'll tell you what this old world will beat you up and wring you out and throw you out the other side Sometimes we just need to take a step back and say, man, you know what? God's in charge. I was talking with Darlene this morning. You, you guys know I have this murder trial tomorrow. It's the first murder trial, you know. And I, I'm sitting there last night. I'm starting to get a, you know, I haven't been nervous up to this point. And then I'm sitting there. I'm going through my opening statement, you know. And then I'm starting to get, like, man, this is serious stuff. I'm starting to get nervous. And then it hit me. I got nothing to lose, man. I do my best. And I can't control what a jury does. I can prepare. I can work. You won't outwork me. In the manifold hours that we have put into this case, we have done our due diligence. And tomorrow morning when we show up, we will do our best. And, and I can't control what happens. We can't control what happens here on this earth. God's in control. And knowing that He's in control, it ought to serve to cause us to take a step back and just exhale and go, man, you know what? It's going to be all right. God's in control. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. He's alive. I spoke to Him this morning. I hope you did as well. Jesus Christ is He that liveth. He was dead, but no longer. I am he that liveth. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Listen, I don't, I don't begrudge people. And we do this with our grandkids. You know, we, we partake in the fun and the activities today. I love to see the little ones and even the older ones smile and have a good time. But that isn't what today's about. 
Today is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact that He was crucified on our behalf. He suffered for our sins. And, and, and if you, by faith, place your trust in Him and repent of your sins, you can have the assurance that He's alive today and He intercedes for you and you have an inheritance reserved for you. He that liveth. Three characteristics. His present state. I am he that liveth. His past prevailing state and was dead. His permanent state. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Christ Jesus, he that liveth. Let's pray.